because they are they are our support that includes teachers, people who've written books, our fellow practitioners who uh, give us encouragement and support in various ways. So that's the meaning of, of doing it three times. That plus the fact that traditionally most of these things are done three times. <laughs> so. Are there other questions about the precepts or uh, the refuges? That's really, you know, what you've asked is an important question because a lot of people don't really, uh, you know, they know that Buddhists take refuge in the in the three jewels in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, and uh, but they don't understand exactly what that is, and of course, coming from. Uh, Western religious background, they're likely to interpret taking refuge in the Buddha as being something like, you know, uh, uh, the attitude uh, uh, that is adopted towards uh, Jesus or the prophets or you know, God or a deity or something like that. But it's it's really not. I mean, it's taking refuge in, in the fact that that the Buddha was able to accomplish this, and then even more than that, he was able to teach other people uh, how to do what he had done, and that that was passed along to us. And in a sense, too, it's not just the person of the Buddha, it's it's all of the Buddhas ever since then, and, and all the Buddhas of the future. The Buddhas before the historical Buddha, the Buddhist sense, and the Buddhist yet to be. So, so when you prostrate, you you need to keep that kind of going through your mind as you're, you're doing that? That's, that's one way that you can practice, yes, you can do uh, you can do prostrations or various kinds of practices based on on the uh, triple jewel uh, and, and the refuges, um, but there are a lot of you know when people are doing prostrations or, or bowing or things like that. There's there's many different things other than just the refuges that that they <coughs> are doing there. So. For example, you know uh, when we do this, we remind ourselves to. Uh, to uh, purify our body, our speech, and our mind. You know, so that's another another one of the three things that it could be when we do that. Are the the um, refuge vows the same as the precepts? The the refuge the refuge vows um, is that a term that you've heard okay yeah that uh, I, I think when somebody's referring to refuge vows they would be referring to the uh, first five precepts that uh, that usually when somebody becomes a Buddhist uh, and they take refuge in uh, when they formally take refuge they take those first five precepts. And then there's an additional five precepts 
that someone takes when they uh, decide to become ordained. They're called the novice vows and the ten, ten precepts. Uh, so when you hear about the ten precepts, most often they're referring to the ten precepts that a novice takes when they decided to become a monk or a nun. But then there are the uh, uh, what are called the uh, life, lifetime lay practitioner precepts, which can be either eight or ten, and that's what these ten are here would be uh, dedicated lay practitioner precepts. You know, a person who has uh, taken a step of, of totally dedicated, dedicating and committing themselves to the study and practice of the Dharma and to uh, uh, achieving enlightenment, but who isn't becoming a monk or a nun. So when you hear the eight precepts or uh, the, the, uh, another version of the ten precepts is that. The precepts are really an absolutely essential beginning practice uh, on, on the Buddhist path because for so long as uh, you don't live in such a way that you are purifying your your virtue. Uh, you, you can't really succeed on the path in many ways. But also, the benefits of of keeping the precepts and practicing in that way are enormous. They are a practice in themselves, because as as you know, just to remember to to succeed in keeping precepts means you have to. Remember them. You have to keep them in mind all the time under all kinds of different circumstances, which is a challenge, which requires a certain degree of mindfulness, which you can cultivate as a part of your meditation. You cultivate that, but also in the practice of being mindful to, to keep the precepts at all the time, you're in a sense practicing a kind of uh, meditation, a kind of mindful awareness at all times. And of course, it makes your mind much calmer and your life simpler. Uh, makes you happier in every way. If you uh, if you keep the precepts, you know, if you refrain from taking what's not freely given, uh, it spares you so many worries and, and and complications in your life. And if you practice. If you refrain from wrong speech, which means that you are truthful, don't speak harshly, uh, don't speak against other people, to, from to against one person to another, and and you don't gossip, well, that has tremendous improvement uh, uh, effect on improving the quality of your life and improving your peace of mind, freeing yourself of causes of. Uh, regret and remorse and worry. So a person really couldn't think 
to themselves that they're a Buddhist in a meaningful way and unless they undertake these precepts. And when you examine the precepts carefully, what you discover is that the common thread through all of them is refraining from those actions that are causes of uh, that contribute to the suffering of yourself and others. And as a matter of fact, that's the, one of the simplest ways of uh, determining whether a particular action is uh, is in keeping with a precept or not is just to examine whether uh, this is something that would uh, that has the potential to cause suffering for someone, including yourself, in, in the future. And the other way, uh, really part of the same thing, is to you know uh, put yourself in the position of whoever might be affected by the particular act or, or, or speech that, or, or even thought, you know. If you're thinking about somebody in some way, you can ask yourself, um, how would I feel if I were them? Uh, and I was thinking, you know, that tells you right away there's something unwholesome about them. I think it's getting a little too warm in here. So you you need to be really mindful and present, but if it slips by, you could be mindful and say, "Well, I regret that." Yes. And the next opportunity, but you you still need to do extra purification, don't you? Or I mean, if it's like a severe offense or something that could really hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it, you do because any anything you do leaves a residue and uh, 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 and leads to future consequences in a variety of different ways. And so it would be if you realize that you've done something, it would be foolish not to do whatever you can to uh, you know to to counteract that and well uh, one thing that you can do of course is to try to make some kind of amends or reparation or uh, you know depending on what it is to the degree that you can uh, do something to repair the damage you know in terms of the physical external world and the other people that are affected and so forth uh, you of course should do that. That's an obvious thing. But the other consequence, you know, anytime you've done an action that violates one of these precepts, it has an effect on your own mind and your own consciousness. And so, in order to undo that, probably the most important thing of all is to be fully mindful of it, to, to recognize what you did, to see the root cause, to understand you know, how that action arose out of some combination of ignorance and desire and ignor- or ignorance and aversion or all three acting together. 
and also to recognize the harm that's done by it to to yourself and to others. So just being mindfully aware of that is is one of the most important things that you can do to counteract the negative karma of the action. Um, you know the, that full acknowledgement of it. The other thing that you can do that's very important is in in that recognition to make a resolve that in the future you will do your best not to do this sort of thing again. Because that's a, that resolve, that's a karmic action. It's a positive karmic action to counteract the negative karmic action. So much of our karma is habitual. We we do things out of habit. We react, you know, desire arises out of habit. And the acting out of desire is another, yet another habit. And uh, so to the degree that we can recognize what's going on and make a resolve to change that, that's creating uh, a different kind of karma. Um, the there there is uh, actually a, a formal purification for overcoming uh, uh, a failure to keep a precept or other acts of any other kind of act of bad karma that you might. I have committed. Uh, it's called four powers sometimes. And the first is just to acknowledge and recognize what you've done, mindfully examine it in the way that I described. The second is to resolve uh, not only to try not to, to do it, but to resolve to overcome the afflictions of ignorance, desire, and aversion that were the root cause of it. Uh, the third part of it is to um, to commit to uh, to the kind of action that will reverse the bad karma. Now that does mean, as I said, if to the degree that you can make amends, ask for apology, replace what was taken, whatever, you know, that you do so. But another very important part of that is that uh, in order to fulfill the commitment that you made in the previous uh, power to overcome the, the root causes of ignorance, desire, and aversion, that in, in this third power you make the commitment to to uh, study and practice the Dharma, because that's the only thing that will permanently uproot uh, these. And then the fourth power is uh, is taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And this is, uh, the purpose of this is that often we feel as though, uh, you know, we, when we have a failing in terms of our behavior or intentions, we feel weak, inadequate, we might doubt our ability. Uh, do you know what I mean? You, you did something and and you reflect that back on yourself as sort of a, 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 a doubt that you have the ability to overcome these unvirtuous behaviors. So in the fourth power, the last is just to uh, 
to trust in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha that uh, you don't need to rely exclusively on your your own power and your own self, but you have this support to to achieve that. So that practice of the of the four powers. Um, it can be a very, very effective way of uh, learning to practice virtue and overcoming the tendencies uh, uh, that you have established for non-virtuous actions. But it, I, I also sincerely believe that, to a huge extent, it eliminates the bad karma of the action that you've committed. You know, if you actually do that, if you consciously go through those four steps, uh, it, the impact that it has on your mind stream and your psyche to do that uh, will, if, if not 100%, very nearly, uh, uh, you know, counteract, create a counteracting good karma to, to overcome that. So you should, you should do that as soon as you can after you realize that <laughs> yeah, you might have hurt yeah, somebody. Or, that's right. Yeah. Wh- what about um, even though yeah, I have trouble. Yeah, I have my doubts of overcoming some things. I know some are habits, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Some things seem so difficult. But people in the past are people who who are are dead now, mm-hmm. and you regret because of ignorance not having. Yes. But still, even though you're ignorant, you know, you did some damage. Um, what can you do about that? Mm-hmm. Well, you can do exactly the same thing. You know, the problem that you would see with that would be in the third power where you, where you take yeah. some sort of corrective action. If that person is dead, obviously, you know, you can't even ask them to uh, forgive you in person. But that doesn't matter. If you, if you have that wish, if, you know... If you clearly, you know, if, if they were alive, you would do that, and and you have that wish that you could. Uh, that, in combination with the other part of the third power, is the commitment to practice the dharma so that you eliminate the roots of that kind of action. You know, that's it's, it comes to the same thing. You, you know, if you can't do something about it, you can't. But you you do what you can. So, uh, some people in that kind of situation uh, find it very very effective to do something like if you have a photograph of the person, you know, you could just talk to the photograph and tell them what you would tell them if they were there in person. It will have it will have a similar effect. So like when you're on the, the third step and you mm-hmm. wish that you could have or you could apologize that you could mm-hmm. talk yeah. to the photo. Right. Or it might, right. might be somebody you don't even know where they are anymore. They're still alive. You know, yeah. and you might not have a picture, but you can still picture them in your mind. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> you just do, do whatever you can to complete the action uh, of, of making whatever correction would be possible. Um, you can see implicit in that is uh, 
a forgiving of yourself and a let, letting go of that. Uh, and it may come back and you may have to do it more than once. You know, we sometimes, sometimes the four powers don't uh, uh, eliminate a karmic imprint uh, the first, first time they're exercised. And depending on what it is, it, it might come up and every time, it, every, every time it comes to your mind, if it still carries the potency to come in your mind, you can repeat the four powers uh, with regard to it. Um, some people, I guess, they like they have a little ceremony and they they burn it. They put the little paper in the mm-hmm. bowl or yes. Or, or this, now what? What is a fire puja? Is that the same? puja? Or puja? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's very much the same thing. Yeah, you can uh, you can write all these things down on slips of paper. Um, over a period of time, uh, uh, try to recollect uh, everyone that you've ever caused harm to, or everything you've ever done that you regret. Or write them all down, and then you can do uh, you you can do a a puja means ceremony actually. Yeah. So you you can do a ceremony, and part of that is to put those all those slips of paper into the fire, and Give, give that up in the form of the smoke. So when it no longer comes to your mind, you know it worked. <laughs> I mean, That's it's right. gone. That you finally just let it go. That's right. Yeah. You're the talkative one tonight, so... I am. Yeah. Well, I did have another question. Mm-hmm. Go right ahead. That may be of no interest to anybody. But if you... If you plant the seeds to see you not die or to or reverse aging or somebody was saying that you know you can see yourself die you can see yourself fargo you can see yourself go on it's very very confusing that if you if you are does does being i mean if you can reverse that they're saying like say being into a light being what does that mean I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, how can you do it? The body dies, right? Yeah. These are actually esoteric practices with different levels of understanding, and the sort of villager level of understanding is that it literally happens, you know, you in the way that you just described it. But the esoteric level of understanding is uh, it's, it's quite different. It's the, the hidden meaning or the deeper meaning, the more profound meaning that uh, in order to understand, you need to understand emptiness. You need to understand selflessness. Um, you need to, you know, cause, because otherwise, I mean, you look at these things and they seem to 
totally contradict everything else that Buddhism says. Well, if emptiness is being like a blank screen and then you have unlimited potential. (laughs) Emptiness, yeah, if you if you have a simplistic idea of emptiness as being like a blank screen, emptiness is the, the recognition that things are not as they appear. That reality is not what it appears to be, but reality is a projection of your mind. And so when we say things are empty, they're empty of having a nature of being the way we perceive them to be. And if you follow that and see where it takes you, it means, well, I, I think you've been at classes where I've talked about this before, but so uh, you can probably uh, grasp this pretty readily. We, all of us, live in a world of our own mind's making. Now, at the level of, you know, here we are five of us in this room. But we are all experiencing this in a totally different way. And this happens all the time with everything. Now, if I took a rock, passed it around, everyone would experience a rock in pretty much the same way. Uh, So when we're thinking just simply in terms of the elemental properties of sense objects, uh, it's not so obvious that you know that there's a difference but when we go to more complex perceptions no two of us perceive the same person in the way in the same way right mm-hmm. no two of us perceive the same situation in the same way as you go into this deeper and deeper and you realize that that every single experience you have, and your life is just a series of experience, every experience you have, you interpret it on the basis of the mental state you're in and your past experiences with the various things that you encounter and so on and so forth. And so you can fairly easily come to appreciate that, uh, well, you, you can really come to understand why different people experience things so differently. One person thinks it's wonderful, another person thinks it's terrible. This person's happy, this person's miserable. You know, and there are, and and we know that. We we say that, we talk about that, we recognize that in in life. Life is what you make of it. uh, So, that is, that is emptiness. And the more you recognize that that no matter how I'm looking at the situation I'm in right now, and no matter how much it seems like uh, 
the situation is controlled and determined by external factors, it's really not true. The external factors are there, but your mind is making your reality out of it. It's making your reality on the basis of all of those tendencies of mind that you've accumulated over a lifetime and all of those past experiences and all those uh, ways of interpreting and understanding and reacting and everything else. And so you realize that put another person in your body and they'd be having a completely different experience, at least if they had their own mind, <laughs> because their mind would respond differently to everything. So that's, that's, a, that's one level of emptiness. Uh, and along with that is the recognition that this applies not only to the reality you find yourself in, it applies to the self that finds itself in that reality. The self that finds itself in any given reality is also created by your mind in exactly that same way. But if we penetrate this a little more deeply, uh, you realize, you know, like when you're sitting in meditation, you close your eyes and all there is is some sensations there. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, you know, uh, the, or, or, or had, I shouldn't say wonder, but had maybe the experience of wonder, realizing that that you, the, the, your body and your breath and all these things, it's what your mind has made up to explain those sensations. You were born and you were having sensations and your mind didn't have the faintest clue what any of this meant. But piece by piece, it created stories around all these sensations and that's the world that you live in. You go a little further and you realize that uh, color is not something that exists inherently. It's outside yourself. Uh, color is the result of the structure of your eye and the way that your uh, brain uh, processes nerve impulses. As a matter of fact, you look at your brain, color is a result of the way your, your, your brain processes nerve impulses arriving along different neurons. You know, Color doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as warmth and cold. There's different degrees of, of uh, vibration of atoms and molecules, but warmth, warmth is a feeling that our mind generates. And as a matter of fact, as you know, the same temperature can feel warm on one occasion and cold on another, right? So warmth and cold themselves are not something that is really extrinsic to your mind. Then you carry it one step further and realize that, well, I've had dreams where everything seems just as real as it does right now. So. I don't even need sense organs, and uh, I, don't, I don't need this hypothetical external world to account for my experiences. This could be a dream right now. Now this, this is where you, where you realize that your entire experience is taking place in your mind. <laughs> you know. Now, you don't want to make the mistake of believing that, well, your mind, uh, this, uh, that, uh, your mind is uh, is creating it all, because it's not. But your mind is creating your personal reality. Uh, and also, 
a view that people can can develop is that well there's just this one god mind that's creating it all and uh, those places those things won't take you very far you can what you're left with is the realization that all of your experience takes place in your mind absolutely every bit of it including the sensations but you're left with the question where do the sensations come from and there's basically two equally good answers there's nothing wrong with either one of them they're both absolutely perfectly acceptable answers and there's no way to distinguish between them one is that there is some kind of something out there separate from the mind which you'll never really know what it is because all you'll ever know is the sensations that it produces right and that whatever it is out there accounts for the sensations being produced and the consistency uh, the cause and the effect uh, relationships and the consistency and, and stuff that we that we find are present you know because we do find that we rely on that consistency another explanation is to say well who needs to that's just a hypothesis that's just a theory that there's something out there causing those sensations if all of my experience is taking place in my mind well then maybe the source of that is mental too and so one way of uh, one way of explaining it is to label that karma and, and say okay if whatever I see or feel or, or touch or hear or whatever that's coming from some hidden part of the mind stuff and it's following uh, laws of cause and effect too karmic cause of laws of law of, of cause and effect but you can see that both of these are just theories ways of explaining and the Buddha himself rejected both uh, or didn't reject it he he refused to make any sort of statement about these it's pointless to wonder well is there a material world out there that's separate and exists on its own and that accounts for my sensations that my mind creates my reality out of or is there some hidden mental stuff somewhere that creates all these sensations like uh, like what happens in a dream you know you don't know where your sensations come from in a dream either right they're just there and you accept them as real so it really doesn't matter where these come from uh, from a point of view of what really exists or, or what doesn't what's important is to recognize that the reality that you are experiencing is one that's created by your mind and so if you if you would like to live in a different reality that's the place to start working and that's what the virtue is about that's what uh, that's what the practice of the perfections is about is that's what creating good karma is about no matter which way uh, you look at things from a philosophical point of view what Buddhism is pointing out to us it's all going to come down to the same thing it's it's going to come down to the same thing in the end that whether you feel happy blissful or 
miserable and filled with suffering is determined by your mind. And whether you consider the experiences that you have, however they appear to you, that is a result of the way that you have conditioned your mind. That's your karma. So through practicing virtue and practicing the perfections, through overcoming desire and aversion and the ignorance that's based on the sense of self, you change the way your mind works, which changes the reality that you live in. And that is an absolute indisputable fact that uh, anybody can prove for themselves. All they have to do is uh, be willing to extrapolate beyond you know, the, the immediate, obvious uh, fact of that to, uh, you know, but people don't. They say, yeah, but, yeah, but, and they think of all these you know, circumstances. Yeah, but, you know, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, but what if this happens? Yeah, but what about in this kind of situation? But the uh, really the bottom line is your mind creates your experience. And so first step in Buddhist practice is to start reshaping the way your mind creates your experience. The next stage is to come to understand uh, the true nature of reality, to come to really understand emptiness and to uh, come to know nirvana. And what you're doing there is you're going beyond the mind. And the first stage, you're, you're reshaping the mind that's shaping your reality. And the second stage, you're overcoming the ignorance that allowed it to happen in this way in the first place. Once you've done that, once the ignorance is destroyed, then the mind can, then you can uh, let the mind uh, continue to create the reality that you live in. Um, but it, but you will, your experience of it then is shaped by uh, by wisdom, knowledge, understanding, by an awakened point of view. You experience it as an awakened being, rather than as a person caught in a nightmare or from time to time a dream that turns into a nightmare. So is that what you mean that the, what was it that the mind creates a personal reality but it isn't creating at all? That is, if you go beyond that? Your, your mind creates your personal reality. If you start, okay, as a philosopher you could pursue the question does the mind create, is there nothing but the mind? You know, and there is a school of Buddhism called the Mind Only School, which basically suggests that. And there's a, a Western philosophy called phenomenology that basically suggests that. Uh, Bishop Barclay is a famous philosopher of, uh, uh, of Europe, and he posited a kind of idealism that the reality only exists in the mind. You can pursue that philosophically, and if you do that with the tools of philosophy, it'll keep you from getting into trouble. But what you should avoid, you know, is falling into uh, false beliefs that, well, okay, if it all exists in my mind, then I can do anything that I want. 
or if it all exists in my mind, then I control it, or if it all exists in my mind, then everything's my fault, and I have to blame myself for for wars and disease and everything else. Well, you know, that's 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 not that's not helpful. That's not helpful at all. Some people, you know, with the idea that well, emptiness means and emptiness means that everything is a projection of my mind, and everything that happens is my karma. That uh, you know, well, that means that everything that happens to you is your karma too. So you know, why should I worry about you? Whatever happened to you, that's a projection of your mind, and it's your karma. It's your fault. So. Why should I be concerned about you? And that, that's a terrible, that's totally, that's not where we want to go. But that's where you can go if you start trying to take these ideas too far. The fact is, if you can recognize that the reality that you're experiencing is created by your mind, is subject to your mind, and that you do have the ability to change that, then you don't need to worry about you know, uh, things happen to you. And you don't have to worry about the nature of the things that happen to you. All you have to recognize is how I respond to this, how I react to this, the experience that I have, that that is my karma. You know, somebody says, you know, you're in a car accident. It's your karma. Being in a car accident isn't really your karma. It's how you experience the car accident that is your karma. Being in a car accident actually can be your karma for many ways. I just point out that uh, it may be the actions that led to the crash might have been produced by your karma. Your karma somehow led you to be in that vehicle at that time. Karma means cause and effect. And so the totality of cause and effect created that incident in that particular place. So, I mean, we're, we're all going to die, for example. You know, so we all have the karma to die, you could say. But we don't all have the karma to die uh, in the same way. Some people will die in the state of, of fear and suffering and misery, and others will die uh, peacefully with wisdom and understanding. So. so where I'd like to leave you with on this is that Accept as a working hypothesis that the reality that you live in is is a projection of your mind, is a creation of your mind. Accept that. And discover the meaning of that for yourself. Investigate that discover the meaning of it, 
take it to deeper and deeper levels. But don't jump don't jump ahead of yourself into interpretations and ideas that can lead you into uh, completely unhelp- uh, unhelpful uh, points of view, uh, views and attitudes and behaviors. Just stick with, okay, if I'm, if I'm unhappy right now, I have to take responsibility for it. I don't have to take responsibility for the fact that this person said this thing to me, but I do have to take responsibility for my own reaction to it, the way that it makes me feel, and so forth. Stick with the basics. Stick with the basics. As you follow that in your meditation, as the meaning of, uh, of emptiness becomes clearer, and I mean, ultimately everything is uh, uh, empty of any nature other than what your mind projects into it. But discover that for yourself, and don't try to figure out what that means until you until you're you're ready. Take it take it by stages of understanding. But the reason the four powers work is because they're using the mind to uh, to change the karma of the action that you're exercising those four powers in respect of. And it's because emptiness uh, is, is true that they work. If you were what you were, if you were this immutable self and this was a world made up of immutable objects, there'd be no hope. (laughs) That was very helpful. Good, I'm glad to hear that. Yes, I get get embroiled or I I go off. I'm exposed to so many different things, I I get them all mixed up. Yes, I know. I know the problem. I understand entirely. Yeah, well, I kind of. It'd be nice to have just one simple, <laughs> you know, direction. And and if you continue to pursue it, all of these other things that you hear, they they you'll begin to understand them, and you'll you'll see their true meaning. A lot of that is, 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 you know, a lot of what you hear is distorted understandings. You hear other people's distorted understandings, so. and then that's really confusing to you. It's like, wow, oh, that's a strange <laughs> idea. I wonder how that works. Yeah, it gets to be too much sometimes. <laughs> it's just, just so overwhelming. When you overcome ignorance, then death has a totally different meaning and significance. And uh, so to metaphorically 
and it is, it's metaphorically, to metaphorically speak of being transformed from this mortal body into a light body. Um, as, as a metaphor, that is quite meaningful. But if you are thinking in terms of thingness and somehow this material body you have is going to become a different kind of body and there's still going to be a you much the way there is now. And, uh, you know, well, that's that's all kind of nonsense. That's... Uh, You overcome, you, you do overcome death, though. I mean, death is something, you see, you live in the present. Death is something that happens in the future. Right? And so, when you've overcome death, you, you're, you're not worrying about it. You're not afraid of it. And when whatever that transition is happens in the present, you'll be in the present and, and dealing with it. So to overcome death, which these practices, all of these practices lead to overcoming death. But overcoming death means that death is no longer a source of uh, fear and agitation uh, and concern to the mind. It doesn't mean that you'll live forever and you'll keep have to move to different places and change your appearance so nobody will realize that you're immortal. You know? <laughs> You'd probably get tired of it if it did. Did you ever read the uh, the uh, uh, Anne Rice's books yes. about the vampires and the yeah, vampire the vampire Yes, vampire yeah. <laughs> So if you lived forever, you'd be like that after a while, and you'd just get so bored and so tired of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was an unhappy vampire. He was, yeah. <laughs> you need to practice meditation or something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So overcoming death means means more than in the simplistic notions. Okay. Well, any uh, last comments before we do a, uh, take a few minutes to stretch and then do a sit together. Well, we have seven minutes before our sit begins, so we might like to stretch.